You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow Cookie Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and a series of really plant-based horticulturalists and guests, well, foodies, florists, and gardeners. And today I'm joined by Gary Newell, who is our senior horticultural buyer of the Mail Order Company. And Gary's been with us now seven and a half years, and he has got a really different and I think interestingly different view on plants to me. I'm very much uh, a production person, annuals, cut flowers and edibles and Gary very much comes from the low maintenance, sustainable uh, shrub perennial standpoint and so we actually did a podcast together about a month or six weeks ago on sort of self-seeding low maintenance gardens and everybody seemed to really love that. So Gary's come back to join me again today to talk about what we think of as bomb-proof plants. So welcome, Gary. It's great to have you back. Hello, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Total pleasure. So we we got our heads together and we were thinking about the, the things that, I don't know, I, I think of if you're a sort of either a really busy person full-time job, maybe young family, out to work, da-da-da-da-da, no time really to look after the garden. Um, that seemed to strike a chord in Gary's last podcast with me. And so we thought we'd take it one step further and try and select six each uh, plants that we feel we'd be really sad not to have, but that really take almost no looking after. They just get on with it. They don't even really need pruning they don't really need looking after. And so that's what we're going to chat about today. So it's part of our 12 best of series. So Gary's going to do six and I'm going to do six. And if you want a super, super low maintenance garden, then these come highly recommended. So Gary, why don't you kick us off with your number one? Okay, yeah. So when we were talking about bomb-proof plants, I immediately thought about the plants that always deliver, the plants that you can rely on. Yeah. The worst thing is when you're planting up a new garden that you get failures and it, it tends to put you off eventually. So you want to really start off with a good palette of plants that are going to establish quickly and give you that settled in feel to a, a possibly a new garden. Yeah. So my, my my number one, I'm going to start with a climber and work our way through the garden. So it's a uh, Lonicera rhubarb and custard, which is a, a climbing honeysuckle. Yeah. I think Everyone knows what a honeysuckle is and has an idea of it, but this one is particularly different because it's a compact version. So it maxes out at about two meters, whereas I think a lot of people have seen honeysuckles in the past. They're a tangled mess of woody branches, and it can be quite off-putting when you see them in that state. But this stays fresh-looking, produces lots of big scented flowers that then return with red berries towards the end of the season. Mm. And just very easy, like you say, it will look after itself once it's established in the ground. You don't have to do anything to them. So as far as the, the bomb-proof category goes, I think that would be a, a superb option for anyone who's looking for a climber that they don't have to do anything to. Yeah, I agree. And we've actually had that on trial here for a few years now in a pot. You know, it is quite a big pot, but 
it's um, against the east face of a wall because, of course, honeysuckles, where do they grow in nature? They, they grow in dappled shade, you know, climbing up with their heads and flowers, mainly in the sun at the top of a wood. But their roots, their bases are in, in the dappled shade at the bottom of a, uh, a tree that they're climbing up. And um, it, thrive, it thrives there. And it's, it's really fantastic because, as you say, it just never looks a mess. And that's what I find with honeysuckles. Quite a lot of them, you end up having to cut them right back to the ground to get them to produce new growth. And actually, that means that you never get the sort of wonderful flowery scale and that sort of flowery curtain. So I, I couldn't agree more. I think rhubarb and custard is a very, very good choice, Gary. I totally I reinforce that. So I, I'm going to go for a... I'm actually going to go for a, a sort of almost like more a ground cover plant, in fact, as my number one. And I'm afraid it's not very original, everybody. And it's a geranium called Roseanne. And, and it's, it's so many people have it in their garden. But do you know, I was reminded of it again the other day because I went to visit my mum's garden, which is just outside Cambridge. And, it, you know, it's a pretty low maintenance garden. There's not, it's, it's quite large and um, she has a part-time gardener that looks after it. And there I was, and already in a really very sheltered spot, admittedly, in this little, little gravel yard was geranium roseanne. And it was in flower. I just couldn't believe it. And it really reminded me what an incredibly bomb-proof, doesn't need any TLC. You know, if, if it gets to look a bit of a mess, you can just give it literally a haircut down to the ground and up it'll spring again. For me, that would have to be part of any planting scheme for a very very low maintenance garden yeah with roseanne is is that pruning through the summer to get a second flush of flowers it will reliably self um, repeat flower through the year whereas other ones won't yeah Uh, with roseanne we talk about not pruning plants but you don't have to worry about how you prune it so if you're a complete novice you can attack it with the shears and not have any fear that you're going to kill it off it's going to bounce back quite quickly and repeat flower incredibly quickly as well yeah. So well worthy of it. Yeah. Big purpley blue saucer flowers, nice green, healthy looking leaves, really lovely at the front of a border, uh, really excellent on mass. You know, you actually often see it in parks, you know, sort of almost 50 plants of it in a sort of bedding scheme because it is just so low maintenance. So if you haven't got Roseanne in your garden, I, w- I would seriously think of adding it. And you can even have it in a pot, of course. I mean, that my mum's was, was actually in a pot. And again, low maintenance, even in a pot, because they're very drought tolerant. So what's your number two, Gary? Um, So moving from the climber to the shrubs, I've selected Hydrangea paniculata limelight. Yeah. Which I know we've had in our range for over seven years, certainly since I've been there. Yeah. And it's always a favorite amongst the customers and rightly so, because I, I think I remember when I moved into my first house, it was probably one of the first plants I ever planted. And the soil was absolutely terrible. It was quite shady, quite dry. But I put these two hydrangea limelights in and they never failed to repay me every year. They would flower for about five months, I think. And as they flower, uh, the the colours would change. You'd get the acid green then they'd go more of a, a pale yellow and then they'd turn red for the autumn. And then, of course, you can cut the flowers at the end of the season and dry, bring them in the winter. And then the following spring, because I had quite a small garden, I would cut about a third of the plant away. So it kept them nice and compact. And the variety is, is very upright, strong growth. So it didn't dominate too much space. It was perfect for that small spot, which 
I think sometimes people don't think of limelight as being a plant good for small gardens, but with a very simple pruning, it, it really is because it's so upright and strong. It doesn't flop over like some of the more traditional, like Annabelle, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. And um, what about, the, isn't there a development on limelight called Little Limey or something, which is even smaller and even more compact? That's right. Yeah. So that's probably more aimed towards container growing. Um, it's called Little Lime, as you say. Right. And it's probably about a third shorter than limelight. But if you prune limelight, you can keep it to the same sort of structure. No, I, again, I, that would have been on my list, I think, uh, in, in my six bomb-proof plants, if it hadn't been on yours. I, I, I couldn't agree more. So luckily, we're agreeing so far. So my next one would be a rose, actually. And I mean, just because I love to pick the old rose flower to bring it in, I love the perfume, but people associate roses with high maintenance. And I just want people to realize that that isn't always the case. And if you get a good disease resistant variety with a naturally long flowering season, or they've been bred to have a long flowering season, then they can give really good garden value and they won't get black spot. They won't get mildew, you know, if you get the right variety. So the one I ended up selecting, because there are quite a few contenders, but for me, it would be Timeless Purple. And Timeless Purple opens purple, but it actually it sort of, as it develops, it turns more pinky. And I have it outside my bedroom window. So I look down over it and it it's just looks so good for such a long time. It's quite a showy thing. You wouldn't want it in a very subtle garden. You know, it's it's quite a noisy thing in a way, but it's very beautiful really lovely scent, really healthy, exceptionally long flowering. Yeah, I, I think that's a bit of a winner. And it would give you real oomph to a very low maintenance garden. So I always plant roses in threes and it's quite a compact variety. So if you've got a tiny garden, just go for one. But I, I would try to go for three and maybe even two clumps of three or if you had the space, three clumps of three because it just means that you get this lovely rhythm of that very showy thing in all areas of your vision, if you see what I mean. So if you look right, if you look left, and if you look sort of out straight out from a classic window out over a garden. And so that's actually how we've got it here in the farmhouse garden. And um, yeah, I love it. And it really earns its keep. It's really good for cutting as well, isn't it? I think the vase life is meant to be really good yeah. on them. Yeah. So they're from a series called the Home Florist series. Oh, so they I didn't are know that. Developed specifically for the novice cut flower grower. Yeah. Great, great. So uh, next one for you, Gary. So this is a, a ground cover option for me. Is, is Gallium odoratum, otherwise known as woodruff. I mean, some people would say it's a bit of a brute. It might take over spaces, but that's what I want. That's what I like my ground cover to do. I don't want it to be shy. I want it to dominate the space. Mm. And what I like about gallium is it will create a carpet very quickly within a couple of years, mm. um, but it's easy to, to control. It's not going to take over your garden. You just simply have to cut bits out where you don't want it to go. Yeah. But it's nice because it, it fills the space between all your other plantings. So you get that nice green carpet and stops the weeds coming through. Mm. And the added benefit of uh, scented foliage. It has the white flowers early to mid spring and it creates a really nice sort of naturalistic woodland floor look to any uh, sort of part shaded planted area. And you don't have to do anything. It, it, it looks after itself. Yes. It, it used to be put in pillows, didn't it? I think. So That's people right. would harvest the flowers and dry them. And then it has a rather lovely, almost like hay, a dried hay perfume or, or maybe not perfume quite but sort of scent and um 
it's meant to be incredibly good for sleeping. So rather than everyone eating their their gummies <laughs> for their sleeping <laughs> or opposite non-sleeping habits, perhaps you should get yourself a wood rough pillow. Uh, it's meant to be incredibly good, much better than chamomile apparently. Great. Uh, I think it is a lovely ground cover plant. And I'm going to go very quickly through the next one because it's such a well-known plant, but we couldn't have a bomb-proof 12 best of uh, without Origeron, good old Kavinskianis, so the Mexican fleabane. And again, for ground cover, but for a sunny site. So Gary's woodruff is for dappled shade, whereas the Origeron really wants to be in, in pretty basking sunlight. Utterly drought-tolerant, uh, will take salt. So in a seaside garden, it's completely reliable. Uh, flowers from April until November in the garden here. We have it all the way through our paths and steps and it softens them in the most lovely way. It sells seeds, but not too much. It's fantastic as a container plant because it is so drought resistant. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's not to like about it really? And like the geranium, the roseanne that we talked about at the beginning, if it's starting to look a bit messy, just pick up the tip of the plant and with literally some scissors or shears, just shear off a third off the top. And very quickly, within 10 days or so, it'll be back in flower again. So a, a really good bomb-proof plant. I've found with mine as well now that they are evergreen. I don't yes, know if yours die yes, back at all, but yes. mine don't die back at all through the winter now. So that that pruning going into the new spring is probably quite good to do because it re- reduces all of that old foliage and you get your fresh foliage coming through. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, completely. So what's your number four, Gary? Well, I'm going to group my next three together, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. It, it, it's, it's a group of perennials that I think we need to talk about as growing together in a group of three. So I've got Anamanthali uh, lessoniana, which is uh, a grass, an evergreen grass from New Zealand. We've got Verbena bonariensis, which I'm sure everybody knows about. And then my third part to that is Euphorbia oblongata. Mm. Um, so Anamanthali, evergreen grass with sort of copper tones to the more older foliage the the juvenile foliage is green as it comes out and it has this uh, spray of purple flowers through the summer Mm. and then what I've done in the past I've planted all three together Mm. so it's more of a a, I call them a planting vignette so they they complement each other they like the same conditions and they will spread and self-seed gradually through a garden lovely and what sort of soil any preferably dry soil but and apart from that, they're not fussy. They really they will be happy. The drier the soil, the more likely they are that they'll live for longer. So the euphorbia and the verbena could be classed as short-lived perennials, uh, maybe three to five years, but they self-seed happily. So I don't tend to worry about their lifespan because they're going to find their own way through the garden anyway. Mm. And that's what makes them bomb-proof for me is that once I've planted them in the ground, they then take on their own life and develop however they want to through the gardens. There's no real intervention needed by me. They'll just find their yeah. own way. As long as you get the soil right at the start and plant them in the right place, that's it. Great. <laughs> you plant them and off, the, and off they go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've long been, um, I, I don't know the grass very well, actually. I mean, I imagine it's called pheasant's tail because it's got such that's beautiful right. colours yeah. in it. Yes. Yeah, but the other two I know really well, and Euphorbia oblongata I've grown here for 30-odd years actually. Absolutely adore it, have picked it 
perhaps more than any other plant in the world. But just if you are going to pick it, just be careful to wear gloves because like any of the euphorbias, it's um, got that milky sap. I've, I've made that mistake in the yeah. past and it, it's not nice. Yeah. <laughs> You've just got to be really careful to keep it off your face and, and well, hands really, but also particularly out of your eyes. So just be aware of that if you want to pick it. And Verbena bonariensis, do you know, I've just so fallen back in love with that plant too. That's what I was thinking because yeah. it was so popular sort of 20, 25 years ago. It was the must-have plant. It was yeah. a real trend that everybody was buying into. And then I thought, oh, is it is it lost its interest now? But it's still a yeah. top 10 seller for us. People love it still. I mean, it might be a bit more run-of-the-mill these days. People obviously know it very well. But a plant that adds height so quickly to a border when it's not established is yes, really valuable. It gives you that settled-in look straight away. Yeah, I so agree. And... Do you know, I, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to admit that I didn't know this until this year, but I was sitting working in our greenhouse one, I don't know, October, November day. And as soon as the sun came out and the wind dropped a bit, I just saw this absolute flurry of goldfinches feasting on the ripe seed on the Verbena bonariensis, which covers the whole of the east facing bank here as you come into Perch Hill. And I mean, honestly, at one point, I reckon there were 20 or 30 individual goldfinches just sort of waving on the tall wands of the <laughs> verbena. And it looked, you know, just like a completely magical natural sight. And it made me swear and immediately um, swear in a good way, uh, swear to grow more of it, not swear as in swear, and to message Josie saying, we've got to put in more verbena bonariensis and actually verbena rigida too, which I find that the sparrows and the dunnocks and all the little brown birds, as they're called, which get rarer and rarer, but tend to be ground feeders and robins, they are just loving the verbena rigida. So, I, do you know, I really hadn't clocked that before, but I'm crazy on growing natural bird seed in the garden rather than buying it in all the time because it just feels more sustainable. And the verbena family are leading the way in that. Definitely they're in the top 10 bird seed plants for sure obviously prior to the setting of seed they probably rival buddleias for attracting butterflies as well through the summer yes yes absolutely well that was going to be my next one which is we talked about how the hydrangeas and the lanisteras have the honeysuckers have had new breeding which has made them more pot compatible and actually there's a whole new trend with buddleias which is not to just make them flower for twice as long as the railway siding buddleia, which, you know, we know is beautiful and scented and fantastic for butterflies, but is quite transient. But we've had quite a big trial of different, uh, these new, newly bred buddleias. Well, there are a couple that have really been incredible here. One is hot raspberry, which is the colour you would imagine that, a sort of um, ready crimsony, purpley colour. And another is is one that is almost like a wisteria. And it, it's just the most amazing variety, which sort of cascades down. And so it looks like a cross between a buddleia and a wisteria. And we've got it in the corner of the herb garden here, underplanted by a catmint, actually. And between, oh, and with the lanistera, funnily enough, I'd forgotten that, but actually off to the left. And that, one of your vignettes that you were talking about, about a sort of really good partnership between plants, but a three-way partnership, it just works absolutely perfectly. And um, 
Yeah, I'm crazy ab- about these new buddies. That's not so compact, though. That's quite big. But hot raspberry is is compact. So if you've got a small garden, and honestly, they both have flower without doubt for three months here, if not longer, I would say. So I think there's really good things happening with the whole um, buddleia breeding. I'm going to give you my next one, Gary, because you've run out now because you did three together. So why don't you <laughs> talk about rosemaries? Rosemaries, okay, yeah. So I think most people will have a rosemary somewhere in their garden, won't they? Whether they planted themselves or not, it's one of those plants that's always been there for culinary uses, but also fantastic for hedging and screening. Um, if you live on an exposed site or coastal, fantastic. There's a little shelter belt. Yeah. Um, there's lots of varieties out there that uh, we, we see in the trade, especially all coming through slightly different kind of flowers, different forms. One of my favourites is what I've seen growing at Perchill is foxtail. Yes. It's quite quite a unique form, isn't it? How it grows, how the uh, the needles come out from the plant and spiral around the stem to give that yes. bushy foxtail appearance. Yeah, and, and it quite sort upright. Of exposes the the silver underside of the needle, doesn't it? So you get a lovely appearance to it as it grows along the ground. Yeah, and particularly in the winter. I mean, that is one of the most prominent plants in the garden here, I'd say, because of course it's evergreen and it gives this wonderful structure and it. It literally looks like it's sort of covered in frost, even when it isn't, because of that silver underside. Um, it's such an elegant plant. And I, I'm crazy about the ones that are either called Tuscan Blue or Vatican Blue, because I just find they almost don't stop flowering. I mean, they're covered in bees as soon as they come into flower, and they're already flowering now in February. And honestly, I swear, I really... <laughs> it's true that they were flowering until November at least. They hardly pause and we have three, which I've talked about many times before, so I mustn't bore on, but outside the gardener's office here, three rooted cuttings planted five years ago, growing up through a satted bench. When people sit on the bench, they just do a light prune with their bums and their backs, and that is the only looking after that we have to do. Totally drought tolerant, totally brilliant for pollinators, don't need to prune, don't need to do anything. They'll need replacing if they get too woody at the base after... I mean, I would normally say after five years, I would do some cuttings, but actually our one that I say has been in five or six years and it still isn't looking scraggy and messy with only leaf at the top. It looks fabulous. So that for me would have to be in my top bomb-proof plants. And I'm going to finish with the family of linearias, the toad flaxes. And these make me laugh actually, because I've been putting these different varieties in our seed catalogue for now must be 10 or 15 years. And People just don't seem to take them seriously. And I've just got to bang their drum yet again. And please, please try them because things like the variety that you can grow very easily from seed, sowing it now in the next month, scattering it into the top of a pot is Morocana Sweeties Mix, which is the annual variety. Smells like a fruit, a salad kind of bowl, really delicious fruity smell, really Utterly exquisite, tiny little snapdragon-like flowers and in the most lovely array of colours. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful plant annual. And I'm really crazy about the perennials. And there's one we have in our range at the moment called Peachy, which we've got in the farmhouse garden. And it's very, very light on its feet. You hardly notice it there. And then suddenly it puts up these lovely spires of that very trendy sort of a kind of labella pop tulip sort of brownie peachy color 
And on and on it goes. If you deadhead it, it just keeps flowering. Now, okay, so I said deadhead it, but even if you don't, it just flowers all the way through May, June, July. It's just such a long performer. And any of those linearias, you know, whether it be peachy or the straightforward purpurea, which is purple, or the one called Cannon Went, which sometimes is called Came and Went because it seeds around the garden, or the annual Linearia Morricanis Sweeties Mix. I'm passionate about them. I love them. And I love them for the May gap. So they really flower in that time when the tulips have gone over, but the roses and the sweet peas, etc., haven't yet got going in June. So they're really perfect for that sort of May into June and July. Uh, I'm crazy about the line areas and zero maintenance. You don't need to do anything to them. So there we are. Any that you now have a burning urge to talk about, Gary, or is that R12? I think there was one that nearly made the list <laughs> but didn't quite make the six so gm totally tangerine would have been a seventh option if i was going to add one purely because i think it's a favorite amongst plants people but not everybody will recognize it um if they're not that experienced with gardening yeah. but they really should be because it's, it's a great plant and gives so much back it's a repeat flowering gm uh, yes. it doesn't need any pruning if the flowers, when they go over, you simply just pull them. You don't even have to cut them. Mm. You pull them away and then it gets a fresh growth of flowers coming back again. And it's the only geum which repeat flowers reliably. So if anybody's looking for a, a good bright orange perennial in the garden, then it's certainly one to consider. Fabulous. Well, there we are. So you've got 13, not 12, and we will put their names on the list in the podcast notes and there we are. That That is literally, between Gary and I, those are the things. That if I was to lay out a small garden now that I wanted to look good pretty much straight away and I wanted a broad range of plants, so from climbers to shrubs to ground cover and a bit of showiness from the rose, that should give you really quite a good mix of plants. So thanks so much, Gary, and I hope you'll come back again soon. Yep, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening to Grow Cookie to Range with me and Gary Newell. And I hope you found that interesting about the zero maintenance plants that you can have in your garden. Next week, I'm going to be on my own actually, because my new book is now out and I'm going to return to the 12 best series and give you the things I think are the 12 absolute sort of backbone must have edible plants that all of us should grow if we have the room you can find more information photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com